1: Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome to The Leftovers. It is Wednesday, May 22nd. I'm Josh Dunn, joined, as always, by Anshu Khanna and Dan Bauer. And, Dan, we've been without you for a couple weeks, so I'm going to let you bat lead off. How are
2: you feeling, my friend? Yeah, you may, not always, as always, the past couple weeks, so I apologize for that, listeners. I'm excited to be back. Been too long, ready to talk some
0: sports to my buddies.
1: As are we, Anshu Khanna. How are you, My friend.
0: I'm doing well. Dan's got a little pep in his step tonight. I can tell. We And we need it, I think, because so, our, our socks are good. So we need Dan to uh, to help carry the load here. I like that he's batting leadoff. I thought we were about to
1: get no-hit out by Verlander tonight, so uh, the fact that oh, that, that didn't okay. happen makes me feel a little bit better, but I think he had uh, a no-hitter going through like the eighth inning, so... Uh, not a great look for the Sox. Uh, they really could use uh, some some bats, and it's just they've slowed down significantly. Our boys Eloy or not Eloy, uh, Timmy Anderson and uh, Mancada combined 0 for seven with four strikeouts. So not a great day for those two guys, uh, but a great day for the Toronto Raptors. They even the series with the Milwaukee Bucks. That's tied up now at two to two and com had Milwaukee as huge favorites after the first two games of the series, as you would expect, aren't you? But what, what do you make of what they should do with their odds as we're probably going to see some new odds coming out for the Eastern Conference Finals tomorrow? Uh, how much does this change things as your, as an odds maker
0: and and as just a pure
1: basketball fan?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be wild. I, I'm... I've got concerns about the Bucks. I'll tell you that they did not look good tonight at all. That it was probably the worst I've seen them, other than maybe Game One against the Celtics when they looked just completely outmanned, and that that game was almost a little bit fluky. But this one, I just felt you know the Raptors' plan is clearly to collapse the lane and let them shoot, and the Bucks just couldn't shoot. I mean, they were 37 of 80 from the field, which is fine, but 31 percent from three, shot, thirty threes. You know they just got to be better, and um, you know, and Giannis actually had a decent game. Chris Middleton had a great game, thirty points, eleven of fifteen shooting, four of seven from three. But it was all disjointed. They were turning over the ball left and right. I thought it looked really ugly. And there's a chance the Raptors found something in this series. They hand the Bucks only their second loss all season, uh, second series of back to back losses all season. They were twenty two and one coming off a loss or uh, throughout this season. So. Um, pretty embarrassing for them to do to look like this in Toronto. Um, and so now they go home and they've got to hold serve, obviously, or else the series, I think, is over.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's now two to two. The home team has, uh, you know, won everything so far. Obviously, Toronto holds their home court. Uh, but the, the role players that you and I talked about the last couple weeks not stepping up in the games that they lost in Milwaukee stepped up in a big way in games three and four. You had Mark Gasol. Uh, With 17 points, five boards, and seven assists. You had Kyle Lowry with another big game with 25. Um, you, you know Sergi Baca is a guy we talked about having horrible games his plus minus was plus 20 uh, excuse me plus 24 in this game uh, with 17 points and 13 rebounds so the role players really stepping up here Dan and when you think about what is to come for whoever comes out of the east you've got Golden State who sweeps uh, Portland you know Portland you you, you mentioned them as an under the radar team in past shows and somebody that's very forgettable uh, in the playoffs and they showed people why your point has some value to it and as much as You know, they have the star power, and Dame Lillard hits so many big shots. They couldn't come through in crunch time, and they had every single one of these games in this series at a point where they should have really put it away, and they never were able to do that. But more so for the Eastern Conference Finals champion, whoever comes out of this thing, Dan, what do they need to do to get over the hump with this Warriors team, with or without Kevin Durant? Is there any chance in hell? Because I'm starting to think this might not even be a series worth watching at this point.
2: Well, first of all, that might be the first time you've ever acknowledged a single point of mine has value, so I'm just going <laughs> to relish.
0: keep making hey, ones that do, and I got your back, buddy. Yeah, your, your back-to-back Western Conference under-the-radar picks have looked pretty good this, these last two years. We're going to have to go to you next year with our Bovada picks, I think. Wild yeah. choice to take <laughs> the Warriors out of the West, I agree.
2: <laughs> hey, whoever, whoever's... i start yeah. doing my research now the next... Uh, pelicans and trailblazers of the future right.
0: exactly. i'll take
2: suggestions uh from any time from the listeners but i mean you mentioned it uh is, is you need the role players to step up uh for the raptors if they're ever going to pull it off assuming it's them who wins the series uh you said it. Kyle Lowry looked great today i mean six and eleven and uh just looked real smooth looked very natural on the floor um and, and a guy who if he can continue to play as well as he has really gives toronto a shot uh this milwaukee team is one that that we've talked a lot about it on the show uh, and it's been a little bit of a roller coaster i think on all of our opinions of of if they could pull it off or not i mean if you look at the the past couple of games i really think toronto uh, might have enough to overcome this milwaukee team um, It's just not looking not looking smooth it's looking a little disjointed uh, from milwaukee and, and toronto it just it all looks better and i know that's not um, you know sometimes you just have to go with with who's looking smoother, who's who is looking like they're confident, who's hitting shots, and uh, especially tonight, Toronto looked like that team. Um, it looked like a, a team who was who, who was confident, who was ready to take on a Warriors team. Uh, but to actually get back to your original question, uh, no, I just don't think there's any shot either of these teams beats the Warriors, especially with the amount of rest rest that Golden State's about to get. I mean this this Eastern Conference series is two to two. Uh, I fully expect it to go the full seven. You're going to have the Warriors on essentially like a week and a half of rest before the NBA finals start. And it's just so crucial at this point to get fresh legs and to be ready to go. So I just can't fathom that there's any way that Golden State doesn't win another one. As sick as it makes me to say it, I just just that smart bovada money is on the Warriors.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I think it's hard to go against the grain on that call, but it's amazing how much the narrative can change in a playoff series in just a two-game span. And, you know, we were talking about Milwaukee looking like they could also be in a sweep, and now, you know, Toronto bounces back. And Anshu, points that we brought up last show about Kawhi Leonard not playing – not being LeBron in the playoffs was going to be their recipe for success, and that's exactly what they did here tonight, so – if they can continue that and and, and have the role players around him like we've been talking about, I think that uh, this Toronto team can definitely give Milwaukee fits even on the road. So, but but this this series is so compelling. And you know, back to the Warriors' point, aren't you? I mean, as good as Milwaukee and Toronto are, it, you, Steph Curry's just been unconscious these last couple games. Draymond Green is, is uh, as much as I cannot stand the guy. He's been unreal these last few games. And that they were the first teammates that, to both triple-double in the history of the NBA playoffs, I think I saw. Was that the stat that I read? Yeah. Um, pretty pretty amazing. That, um, I think. that Maybe that was it. Uh, yeah. But pretty amazing. I mean, obviously, again, I, I, I think the ratings will probably be lower because I think people are just mm. fatigued about uh, of watching the Warriors win every year. Um, but I just – I think that they're just an unbeatable force again. Even without – Is it? Kevin Durant.
0: Yeah, is it weird to say that they have a better chance of losing if Durant comes back? Like, I I know that sounds just absolutely insane, but they looked so, I mean, this is six in a row now without Durant, right, that they've won all six. They've looked awesome in them. Yeah, they've been down against Portland. But I think that part of what makes them so good is that there's no deficit really that they can't come back from with this specific team because of the way that they play and move together. I could not agree with you more about Jamon green. You know, I absolutely despise this guy. Like he is easily my least favorite player in the league. And he is just, he, I don't know what he did, but I mean, I know he lost some weight or whatever, but he looks like a totally different player and you know, he's affecting the game in myriad ways like obviously he's hitting open threes but he's the his defense and it, the way he's running the break the way that he totally counterbalanced what Portland wanted to do to him um and the way that he can guard any position i think that he is pretty much the ultimate Kawhi or Giannis stopper which is a a major issue for those two teams and i just i i find it hard to believe i find Durant they're they're obviously still better with Durant but it take him out of the equation i have i can't picture either of these two East teams winning. I know you're right. Things can change quickly. I think that this box narrative is going to change quickly once they play at home again. But I, I mean, I, it's hard to, to see what this team has done over the last six games and not think that the Warriors are gonna run a train over whoever they play in the finals.
1: It's so sad as as a big basketball fan that this is what it's gonna end up being and I just I have a feeling I'm gonna end up watching like the first half of game one and then just turn the T V off and, and go watch <laughs> the Sox get dominated by the the Royals or something. Listen,
0: the one hope the one hope that I would say you should have as a Warriors hater is the fact that they would have to go on the road for two against the Bucks with a ten day home court break yeah. that It's I mean, it'd be the second series in this era that they've had to play without home court advantage. And again, things can change quickly. Ten days of rust is a lot. And especially if you're reintroducing Durant or Cousins or both or whatever. I mean, it's not going to be super smooth. So I'm just saying like that. I don't think that series would be over right away. I just think, you know, en masse, it'd be tough for either of those teams to beat Golden State.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Unfortunately, as hard as it is to say, I think we are all in agreement with the rest of America that it's going to be another boring NBA Finals. Which it's unfortunate because the conference semifinals this year were so great, and now we're looking at you know a sweep for Golden State of of Portland. Uh, you know, and we're, we're you know at least we have an Eastern Conference Finals that's that's made itself good after starting a little bit rocky. But we'll see. I mean, I just I just don't see it. But uh, hopefully. The future holds far more good things as far as the NBA is concerned. Dan and I, being Cavs fans, had some good news, I would say. And Anshu, I know you uh, spoke very highly of this hire, but uh, the Cavs go and get John Beeline out of the University of Michigan. So comes from Michigan to Ohio to coach the Cavs, said it was an opportunity he just couldn't pass up and that he saw – this as as a great uh, chance to to bring this team back to the success that they saw under Le- with LeBron James, I should say. They also add JB Bickerstaff as an assistant coach. He was rumored to be in the discussion for a lot of these teams trying to fill head coaching voids as well. Uh, so, Dan, let me start with you as a Cavs fan and and uh, somebody that uh, probably isn't the biggest Michigan fan. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what are your thoughts on Beeline? How do you feel he fits into this Cavs team?
2: Uh, I I love it from a Perspective of it's a guy who has a ton of experience turning what was once a a very prominent program that then became a not so prominent program into a very successful one once again, Uh, and that's kind of where the Cavs are right now. I mean you come you come off the LeBron years and what was very successful, you have what has not been so great recently, and then hopefully he's the one who can help turn it around. So. He does that have experience to do that. I think it's. Uh, I, I think it's a, a solid fit from the perspective of you have a very very young roster. Um, you're going to continue to have a very young roster for a while. Uh, you can help develop some guys, especially like Sexton, uh, to to really reach their full potential. And he's a guy who's gotten a lot out of what isn't necessarily the world's. Uh, I mean, they always had good recruiting classes at Michigan, but you know you're not getting. The, the Duke, the North Carolina, the Kansas recruiting classes uh, and continue to contend with those teams for years at Michigan. So I think it makes a lot of sense. The only concern I have, you know, he is uh, was 70, 71 years old. Um, you know, he's not going to be there. Or he will be when that contract is up. I'm sorry. Um, so he, you know, it's not necessarily like he's going to be there for the long haul on a rebuild. So that's a little bit of a concern, but, if he can kind of be the catalyst to recharge and refocus and develop this Cavs team, I think it potential potentially be very successful.
1: Yeah. And they're discussing an associate head coaching role for J.B. Bickerstaff, who I, I think, you know, B-line's a great hire, obviously. He's won at every level he's coached at. He brought Michigan back to prominence in, in NCAA that has so much, so many great teams, so many great programs that are so tough to keep pace with. Uh, and, and Michigan's not been thought of as, you know, since the Fab Five years and, you know, some of those some of those teams they had in the 90s, they haven't been thought of as a basketball powerhouse. And he brought them back to blue blood status. And then to get J.B. Bickerstaff to join this staff when, when he's been talked about so many times as as a head coaching candidate, uh, you know, you? I think that speaks to where what the direction that the Cavs are ready to take. And, and a lot of people thought Beeline was going to take that Pistons job when that came available, uh, you know, obviously they they hired Dwayne Casey coming off the coach of the year uh, winning, but this is this is a great hire for the Cavs, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I could not believe it. it's one of those shocking ones that you know there are certain names that you hear regurgitated for these openings, but John Beeline was not one that ever crossed my mind, especially being sixty six as Dan alluded to. I mean that he's just I he has one at every level, but my favorite thing about him is his ability to combine the analytics side with the, not, you know, like the feel piece. And I, I just think that he is, you, you think about the best X's and O's coaches at the college level. And I think that that's what really matters here. You don't necessarily just go for the guys that win titles because by and large, many of those, you know, are, are based on recruiting. Beeline, like Dan said, has just done it with his game planning and his play calling and he and, you know, and, Chris Beard of Texas A&M are basically the two best in the country. And they have – I'm sorry, Texas Tech. But to have Beeline come to Cleveland, I think, with this young team is just – he's the perfect bridge. You bring up Bickerstaff, I think he is a natural next man up once Beeline retires. And I just – I think that this whole thing is going to work out really, really well for Cleveland. I mean, I don't expect them to compete this year, but I think in two years we're talking about a team that is overachieving, which is something we haven't seen from them in non-lebron years and, you know, in a long, long time. So I think that that's, that it's going to be a, a great, great fit. And I was very excited for you guys to see that D and ended up going on there. Cause he seems like a good dude too.
1: Yeah. And they, you know, there's a couple pieces that they'll have in the first round this year with the number five uh, lottery pick. And then uh, the number 26 pick that they got from Houston uh, around the trade deadline. So he'll be able to add two more, Important pieces to an already kind of loaded young roster, but one that, like you said, is is a little ways of, from being competitive and being a playoff caliber team. I think, um, but I, I, you know, they they had they had two pieces that uh, maybe could compete for jobs this year, and and it gets uh, it gets interesting, and maybe you you know jumpstart that rebuild a little bit. So we'll see. I, like I said, I like the hire. Um, but it remains to be seen, obviously, whether or not uh, whether or not he has the success at this level that he has at the others that he's coached in. All right, let's move on. We haven't talked NFL in a while. Uh, wanted to talk about a big story that broke here on Monday. Uh, Gerald McCoy, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive tackle, cons- uh, multiple Pro Bowls. Uh, this guy's been you know, really a staple on in the interior defensive line in the NFL. Uh, he's released on Monday, and then the, the next day, yesterday, they go out and sign Indomic and Sue uh, to a one year deal. So Sue was actually picked number two overall in the 2010 draft. Gerald McCoy picked number three overall in the 2010 draft. Uh, now they're swapping roles, and we still don't know where Gerald McCoy ends up. But
2: Dan, I believe you have a hunch. Uh, maybe more than a hunch. I mean, the Browns have been linked to him uh, for uh, ever since the Bucks kind of made it known that he was potentially going to be traded or, or shopped or released or whatever they were going to do. Um, and so the, the Browns look like a, a very logical fit. John Dorsey, the, the team has come out and said that they wanted him. No one has made any qualms about it. Uh, he's a guy who uh, would – he wants to win. He said he wants to be with a playoff team. I don't think anybody at this point can argue, and not even you, uh, that the Browns are going to potentially be a playoff team this oh, year. <laughs> um and, and so i uh, I think it's uh, you know they have the money to do it. I mean they have the the most cash space outside of the jets still um w- with uh with what they can do with their money um especially over the next couple of years, and they have that floor that they still gotta hit you add you add McCoy with the signing uh, uh of Richardson and you just have what is a nasty offensive line uh, you know when you add in miles Garrett, obviously. And all the other young pieces that, that that Browns defensive line has. This is this is going to be scary real fast for the likes of Ben Roethlisberger, whoever the heck is going to be quarterbacking the Cincinnati Bengals at this point. <laughs> um, and uh, Andy Dalton, <laughs> ever heard of we're him? Multiple Pro Bowls. See, we just talked about gonna McCoy. Long, we're going to see how long that that one lasts this year, buddy. Uh, okay. But but we'll see. That's yeah. on the <laughs> one year. Okay. <laughs> they need to make the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> so so we're we'll gonna see. It's a, it's gonna be fun. I hope he lands there. Uh, there's obviously a couple of teams that are rumored, uh, but I think I think the smart the smart money again is on the Browns.
1: Fair enough. I mean, you know, I, I think it would make sense. They've been adding a lot of pieces. They're clearly not afraid to go out and spend a little bit of money on players. Uh, where, what do you see? What type of value could McCoy still bring to the table? Aren't you? He's 31. Uh, you know, he's been around for a long time and been very successful. Uh, You know, is he, is he a guy that you would
0: go and sign to a multi-year deal if you're a team in need of interior defensive linemen? Um, I might just not like fully guaranteed. I look, this is a guy who actually, even though he's been older, I mean, he's only missed a game or two every year over the last six or seven years. So he's been relatively healthy. He's been somewhat productive, you know, a little on and off, but You know, averaged basically seven, seven and a half sacks a season over his entire career, which is crazy, including the last few years where he's gotten six each of the last two. Still getting a bunch of tackles for loss, still definitely getting to the quarterback, averaging over two hits, basically about two hits per game on the quarterback from the defensive tackle position on some bad defenses in Tampa. So definitely can still you know, provide some value. I, you know, I know that he's being been linked to the Browns. Obviously they have a lot of money. I don't really see that honestly as being a likely scenario just because they have, you know, they have Ogan Joby and they have Sheldon Richardson and, you know, they, I mean, you're talking about if you're McCoy, you're going there specifically for the opportunity to play on let's call it what it is a contender right now. But I think that, you know, there are other teams he's been linked to the Cowboys grew up a huge Cowboys fan He's been all over Instagram with them. It wouldn't surprise me if he signs there. Although the Cowboys are strapped for cash, my my money is on the Colts. I think that Indianapolis has just a ton of money. I you want to talk about a contending team, a very much under the radar team. You know the Colts are one of those, and McCoy is known for being a really great locker room presence, and we know Chris Ballard ex, is an extreme um, at at value at overvaluing that. Uh, you know in his locker room, so I think that. That, that's a team that I would be looking out for as well. So, you know, Colts, Browns, probably a distant third. The Cowboys got to look out for the Seahawks, got to look out for the Eagles. Um, but I think that, you know, one of those teams certainly is, is the likeliest. And then, of course, the Patriots love throwing money at players that were once high picks that are now gone. So that's a team to watch as well.
1: All right, that that gives a little a little bit more clarity to uh, the market for him, at least for sure. But uh, you know, he is a player that's going to add value, and he's been like you said very productive. He's a guy that's very active in the Tampa Bay community, so it was tough for him to let him go. But they needed to free up the cap space. Clearly, they they, they didn't have much of that. Where uh, you know, they I, I believe I read that they they still hadn't signed their their number one overall pick because they didn't have enough cap yeah. space to do it. So that I mean, when you yeah. when you're in a situation like that, you're going to have to make some tough decisions, and this was one. That I'm sure was tough, and they were able to get to it a little bit more of a bargain. Um, okay, let's let's wrap things up. Let's move on to. Oh, by the way, Dan, we'll start with you again. bat and lead off.
2: So we'll continue with the Browns' trend in uh, Cleveland, China in general. Hopefully, rumor this isn't is, a theme. <laughs> rumor, <laughs> rumor is the uh, the city of Cleveland is getting the 2021 NFL draft from Jordan Zerm, one of uh, Cleveland's uh, pretty accurate and and always pretty. On point, and never really says outlandish stuff like some of our other. Sounds like reporters. Baker Mayfield. Very accurate. <laughs> never says yeah. outlandish well, things. Yeah. So, so Josh, 2021, when the Bengals need to draft their QB of the future after a dumpster fire of a year, you know, feel free to crash on my okay. couch at any point, buddy, and come uh, watch. Just draft. be willing to Here. die on
1: that hill because I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well you're gonna to have to come to cleveland to do it uh, that's draft,
1: fair we'll, we'll make <laughs> it a ceremony ceremonial burial out there in cleveland during the draft for you i appreciate the the uh offer and i'll be out there for sure no i think that would be a great time cleveland's a great city and i would love to come out there for the draft so as long as i have a place to stay at the uh bauer residence
0: i will be there uh and look forward to it
1: all right, Anshu, you what do you have
0: all right so in, I guess we're being homers today, the White Sox, uh, there was some hot goss today as uh, Todd Frazier and Adam Eaton get into a battle yesterday uh, in a Nats-Mets um, game. I don't know if you saw this. you catch this? I did not. They started yelling at each other, and um, apparently it is lingering from the Drake LaRoche Chris Sale jersey-cutting season of 2016, <laughs> and that's, it's apparently so that year – Adam Eaton and Todd Frazier got into it. Remember that was a, just a horrible year. The White Sox were semi contenders. Like they had traded for uh, Todd Frazier. They trade Fernando Tatis Jr. For James Shields. You know, they signed like eight free agents in, you know, it, they totally in the shroud of, of pretending to be a contender, but they totally weren't. They were awful. Chris sale cuts up the jerseys. And then towards the end of the year. Yeah. Um, different and and um later in that season Fraser and eaton basically get into it adam eaton like this you know kind of grindy gritty weirdo sort of and todd frazier's just like this jersey bro and so um they originally had lockers next to each other they got into such a huge fight that eaton uh, switched to the complete opposite corner of the locker room with his locker, um, and then they got into like several fights over the last month of the season. And um, so today, Ozzy Guillen's on the Sox post game show, and they asked him about it. Ozzy Guillen goes, "Nobody liked Adam Eaton. Nobody liked him, and that wow. was just it." Cut to break. I was like, "Oh my god!" Ozzy will say,
1: "I don't know if you watch a lot of their post game." Ozzy will say literally anything. They showed footage of uh, who was it that got in a fight with AJ Presinsky Barrett. Michael
0: Barrett. Yeah, yeah, Michael
1: Barrett. They showed footage of that and he and they were talking about the Cubs socks next week and he was like We mean we need more of this in the in the game today. We need people fighting and it was just like absurd. The, the, the hostess she was like a little bit awkward and she was like, Oh jay, yeah, let's have people fighting each other. It was great.
0: So good. Gotta love yeah, so, Still my favorite. Yeah, Ozzy's the best. Series. That was basically it right there. I don't really care about Adam Eden, but the Ozzy punchline was my favorite.
1: That's classic. Well, that's a good story. I can't really uh, follow that up with anything better, but I will stay on the brand of the Portland Trailblazers that we started talking the show a little bit about. And we talked about Dwayne Casey and how he got fired from the Raptors after winning coach of the year in the NBA. It's nice to see a team actually reward uh, coach for having a great regular season, regardless of what happens in the playoffs. And, you know, Portland had some injuries during the season. Obviously, they lose Nurkic, but uh, they agreed to a multi year contract extension for Terry Stotts after the Portland Trailblazers advanced to the Western Conference Finals. And obviously, they didn't have things or get the result that they were hoping for. But like we said, I mean, Portland really had an opportunity to put Golden State away in every single one of these games. They were right there with them toward the end, and a couple things didn't go their way. I mean, I saw so many threes go in and out in game four down the stretch, and it's just, you know, the bounce, the ball's just, the Warriors just seem to get every call, every bounce down the stretch, and it just makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. But congratulations to Terry Stotts on the extension, and uh, he's going to be a good coach for a long time in Portland, Uh, and I, I like to see that in the NBA because you don't see it very often. All right, guys, anything you guys wanted to add before we let our listeners get to the remainder of their week and their hump day? All right, fair enough. (laughs) For Anshu Kana and for Dan Bauer, I'm Josh Dunn. This has been The Leftovers. We'll see you guys next week.